as he stuck the envelope into the box, he knew that he could always come back, but he also knew that he wouldn't because that wasn't what he wanted for himself. But what about you? What would you do? You see, it was a Monday, definitely a Monday, because that morning Henry woke up with a groan, and it took at least two cups of coffee before he was ready to talk to anybody. On his way to work, riding up the elevator, he must have yawned four times, just thinking about that lovely bed he had to leave, and kind of anxious about the terrible job he was headed towards. Now, it wasn't the work he didn't enjoy. He could do the work, financial analysis and research, statistical analysis, in order to get a sense of the investment landscape and how it's changing. Oh, he could do that work for his clients all day, no problem. It was his boss that he didn't like. Henry sometimes would complain to others. He'd say things like, ah, I just, I don't know, there's just something about him that it just, it just makes my skin crawl. He, he has all, he has so much. He has all these nice houses and he has these nice cars and it just feels like he never even lifts a finger to do any of the work. It's like we're doing all the work for his benefit and ah, the guy just drives me crazy. Well, with similar thoughts running through his groggy head that Monday morning, Henry was in for a surprise. As he and his two coworkers walked in the door, apparently they took the stairs. There before them was the boss. And next to him were three briefcases full of cash. Okay, there weren't actually briefcases full of cash there, but there were three envelopes. And in each envelope was a check of a very significant amount. For the first, it was about $1.7 million. The second one was about $700,000. And the third envelope, the check in there that was made out to Henry, was three hundred and fifty grand. And the boss said, I want you guys to take care of this while I'm gone. And Henry's looking in the envelope and he sees the numbers and her eyes are big but he hears the word gone and he says gone where wait where are you going and how long till you come back and there were some answers there were some places and names and and stuff like that but no real timeline was ever given all henry knew is that at some unspecified time the boss was going to return and he was going to need that money back They signed some documents, and he left. Now, the first guy who got the 1.7, he seemed to know exactly what he wanted to do because he left right away. Same with the $700,000 guy. He left immediately. They seemed to have a plan. Henry just sat down. He was shocked. He was thinking, I have never had this kind of money in my hands before. But it's also not mine. And when is he going to come back? And what do, I, what do I do with this? And that disbelief turned into confusion, and it changed into anger. And Henry started to think, who, who does this guy think he is? 
I already work for him, and now he wants me to do even more with his money to make him rich? No. No way. I mean, what if I mess it up? He's going to come after me for the loss. So Henry made a decision to stick that envelope in that safety deposit box and leave the money alone till his boss came back. Because in his own words, I've got my own life to live. I've got my own mark to make on the world. And the last thing I'm going to do is work hard to do it for somebody else. So he took that envelope and he put it in the box. He knew he could always come back. But he also knew that he wouldn't. Because that's not what he wanted. But what about you? What would you do? What would you do if someone entrusted with you something of great value and then went away? An extra task on top of your already busy life. Would you use it for their benefit? Would you do the extra work? Would you even be willing to reorient your life around their priorities? Or would you too just find a safe place to kind of tuck it aside until they came back? What would you do? For the past few weeks, we have been in the Gospel of Matthew in chapters 24 and now chapter 25, where Jesus is speaking about what is coming. First, he talks, he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened about 40 years later. And then he spends the remaining time speaking of his own return, a return where he will finish what he started, the conquering of evil, the righting of all wrongs, the full restoration of all things, and the establishment of his kingdom. And those who follow him are supposed to live ready. Are you ready? But the question is, what does it mean to be ready for Jesus' return? What does it mean? And by the way, what is success? in the Christian life. So Jesus is going to tell a story, and some of it might even sound familiar, kind of like the story you just heard. Before we get into it, I do want to clarify one word that's going to get used over and over again in this story is this word talent. And it's not talking about something like America's got talent. It's not because you're talented, because you can wiggle your nose and your ears at the same time. It's not that kind of talent. It's a large quantity of money. It was measured in weight. It was precious metal like gold or silver or copper. So when you hear the word talent, think of a, a bag of gold or a bag of silver, some large amount that is substantial that even a single talent would have been an incredible amount for a servant to be entrusted to. So let's read the story. Starting in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a parable. This is a story about a man and his servants. But even more, this is a story about Jesus and those who claim to follow him. And right from the beginning, we discover in this picture that Christ gives his people something. There's something to invest, something to put to work, to gain a return for his sake while he's gone. And the rest of the story is determined by what each person did with that investment. So in the rest of the time, what I want to do is to, to look at each response in their turn. First, those who did well and, and why and what is their reward. And then next, those who did not and why not and what was the result for him. All the while, the goal is that we would see in this what each direction means for you and for me so that we may know how to respond to the opportunities that God lays out before us. And the big idea of Jesus' story is this, that it's not enough to wait. For Christ has given us something to do, to use what's from God for God. Now, I remember... It was two summers ago, my wife Rebecca and I, we uh, got a chance to go up to the Hollywood Bowl and we were going to listen to the L.A. Philharmonic with John Williams orchestrating, the guy who wrote all the music for the Star Wars movies and many more. And in the midst of the concert, all of a sudden, a man walked out onto the stage that we weren't expecting to see. His name is Kobe Bryant. And he had written a poem called Dear Basketball. And he had had somebody animate it so it could be a short film, and he had asked John Williams if he could write music for it, and so they performed it while he narrated it right there live. Now that movie would go on to win an Oscar because, you know, he'd been done playing basketball for a year and a half, so he had to be the best at something else. Now, I'm not here to make Kobe into a saint as he has had his own flaws, Though we do mourn with his family and the family of others in our county who passed away last Sunday. But I have to say, when it comes to hard work and creative innovation, Kobe was someone who just gets it. 
In our story, the one who just gets it, the people who get it are the first two servants, the ones that were given more, and then they responded quickly. It says they went at once, and who across the length of their master's journey were able to double their return. And while they each received a different amount according to their ability to handle large amounts of money, they were both given the exact same words of commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. At the very least, we should see in these words that these men and what they did is exactly what it means to be ready for Christ's return. Now, when I read these words, I cannot help but feel a longing that God in heaven would have those same words for me. Do you feel that longing too? For in saying these words, he honors their work and character. He actually gives them greater responsibility. And then he invites them into his own joy. And it's that part, this master inviting his servants in to enjoy the, the happiness of their master. That's where the parable sort of breaks down. This is not the language of a master and servants. This is the language of a divine reward. This is the language of God's presence where there is fullness of joy. This is the language of the kingdom of God. And that's important for us to see because that's what this story is ultimately about. The action of the servants and the response of the master calls on Christians to recognize that our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is gifting us with opportunities to make a difference for his kingdom. And when you take advantage of those opportunities, there is honor, greater opportunity, and proof positive of your place with God for eternity in the fullness of joy. Now, I know that that might sound pretty vague. What do you mean by opportunities and privileges? But it's actually pretty simple. How do we help people find their way to Jesus? And once they've been rescued, how do we help others and ourselves to continue to grow to be more like Jesus? It's going to involve prayer. It's going to involve God's word. It's going to involve God's spirit and his timing, but also specific privileges and opportunities or resources that line up for us to do something with them. And that might look like a lot of different things. But I want to say it again. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have been gifted by God with opportunities to make an eternal impact. And Christ is calling on you to use them. So do me a favor. Let's take a moment to imagine not this city, that's, we're not there yet. But I want you to imagine with me what sort of privileges or opportunities related to God's kingdom have you been given. I want you to think about your job and the people that God brings into your life. Maybe they're people that look up to you and work for you. Or maybe they're people that you rub shoulders with day in and day out. What if God is giving you opportunity through that? Or Think about your children or grandchildren and the role that you have in helping them to shape what they think about the world and what they think about themselves and where they find hope. Can you see in them a, a gifting of responsibility for God's kingdom? Or if you're a student, 
Think through your relationships, both in person and through social media. Are you cultivating real friendships? Are you getting the chance to display Christ-honoring character? And are you taking the time to plant God's word into your heart? During my study this week, early in the week, we found out that my oldest son, who's nine, his baseball team was without a coach. And practices, practices and everything was starting up in, the, in a week. Now, my immediate response to that knowledge was like, no way. <laughs> no way. And that was my first thought and my second thought, and that was Rebecca's thought and my fourth thought, and we thought that together and we thought that apart. And then I said yes. <laughs> because I, I started to see with some help from others and from studying this, that really there was opportunity. Opportunity for Christ in relationship to getting to spend more time with my son, which is precious. And also in suddenly being connected to a whole group of kids and adults and then other coaches that I would not have been in relationship with in another way. And so reluctantly, with many reservations, I, I decided to go for it because if God has given it to me, then I want to use it for God. But I also want us to, to see in these imaginations of ours that where God might have us might be in places where normally it is not seen as a gift. Things that might be antithetical to the cultural values, but are what God values and what he has given to you to use for him. Maybe you were in sales, but then you take a training position where now you're losing commission, but you're involved in more people's lives in a unique way. Maybe it's a child you have with special needs that not only needs love and care that any child has, but that's giving you opportunity to have to display Christ-like patience. Maybe it's choosing to use a bonus, not for a new toy or a new vacation, but for a missions field that's grabbed your attention. Or maybe it's the loss of a friend or a job or through a death. And the grief that you have is giving you the chance to cling to Christ for comfort in a way that you have never had to before. And there are so many others. And as you look around, you might realize, well, but it's, it's not his gift and it's, and it's not her gift. And you might wish for more gifts, but that's not for us to determine. It's also not us for us to complain about. We can trust that God is giving the gifts to accomplish the opportunities that he has. They're simply for us to use, to take responsibility for. For if the gifts are from God, they're to be used for God. There's a pastor in Wuhan, China. Wuhan, China is somewhere that is now in the news a lot. Ground zero for the coronavirus who exemplifies this sort of thinking, even in the most difficult of scenarios. And he set out a letter sharing the fears and concerns, but also showing that they are to trust in God's promises, specifically saying this, Christians are not only to suffer with the people of the city, there we go, but we have a responsibility to pray for those in the city who are fearful and to bring to them the peace of Christ. Christ is with us as we face the pestilence in the city. And if we die in this pestilence, it is an opportunity to witness to Christ 
and even more to enter into his glory. Did you catch those words, responsibility and opportunity? For what? For Christ. Even in the hard things, even in the seeming bad things, he takes us in faith. And we can invest them. And just like the servants who worked without any promise of physical reward or for their status as servants to change, we can work knowing that we do so because we love that master and long to enter into his joy. It's not enough to wait. Christ has given us something to do, to use what's from God for God. Yesterday, I was at a youth basketball game just in the audience. And if you're looking for a good time, five to seven-year-old basketball is the place where all the fun is going on on Saturday mornings. It's so much fun. There's usually a couple of kids on the team that get it, and so points do eventually happen. But for most of the kids, they are just kind of running with the ball. Once in a while, they get reminded to dribble, bounce it, and then it's football position again. Or if they got it, they're so excited, they just kind of hop back and forth and around. And once in a while... And what is just, uh, it's America's Funniest Home Videos type moment where they get the ball, they see the rest of the courts open, and they go, and everyone's like, no, no, wrong way. The refs are involved, and the coaches, and everyone in the stands. And in that moment, that kid has no ears, but just eyes for the wrong basket. And that's kind of how it feels as we're reading this story, and we're like, okay, they went immediately, and he went and dug a hole in the ground. And I think maybe that's what it's like for Jesus watching us sometimes. Oh, why don't they get it? But this third servant, he's our tragic figure. He's entrusted with something, and it's smaller, but it's still substantial. While everyone else goes out to invest, he buries his in the ground. And that's really weird to us, but it was an ancient form of a security deposit box. It would keep it safe. And so why did he go the opposite way? Well, we have to look at verses 24 and 25. He says this, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. You see, the third servant views the master as hard, as someone posturing himself to benefit from the labor of others. Now, he claims he was afraid, that he didn't see a way that this could actually work out well for him. But the underlying theme of this is really a resentment that lays beneath the surface. You see, the master in the story, he doesn't waste any time denying the claims. Instead, he actually turns them and uses them against him. He says basically that, well, if the servant knew these things to be true, not that he's saying they are, but if he knew them to be true, then that should have motivated him even more to make sure he had something out of fear. So we discover that really his excuses, while he claimed fear, it's not about fear, but more about self-centeredness. He didn't want to spend time on the master that would take away from whatever his plans were. This is the Henry character from my modern version of the parable, whose heart was indignant to the idea of doing something for the boss he didn't like. To put it another way, the biggest difference between the two groups of servants was that the first two loved the master, and this one did not. See, Jesus is telling his disciples that some who would say they are followers, some who are his servants, will be given opportunities, gifts for them to invest into the kingdom of God, and they will respond 
mm, no thanks. Not just because they weren't able, or not because they tried and failed, but because their actions then reflect the fact that they don't love the God who gave the gifts. And so instead of being welcomed into the joy of their master, their opportunities are passed along. And just like we saw divine reward, divine judgment finishes the story. Biblical language of sorrow and regret and separation. This is the language of hell. Not because they did something that was just avowedly heinous, but because their cold love shows that they are still in rebellion. And so they did nothing at all. A lack of action reveals a lack of love, proving that they're not really a follower of Jesus Christ after all. And before you you write this part of the story off and say, well, this isn't for me, I do think that this man's issue with the master lines up with how a lot of us are living. We're not sure that orienting our life around God adds any value. So what we do is we go and do the things we want or even the things that we think we need, and then we figure if we have time, maybe we'll dig it up and try and do something, or we'll, we'll pull the check out of the security deposit box, and maybe later we'll do it. But mostly we're simply content to leave it buried and to leave it in the box and keep chasing our own priorities. The ordinary way of doing things is to be driven not by what God desires for me to care about, but by what's going to get more money, more likes, more laughs, more attention. Like Henry, we really believe that we have more important things to do. And this reveals something about our heart toward God, that we don't get it. Now, I mentioned earlier the story of taking on that coaching opportunity, and maybe that, in that moment, made it sound like I'm someone who always gets it. But I hope that you're hearing that, if anything, my experience in this passage showed me how often I tend to miss those opportunities, even with investing in my own kids. Or how often I shirk away from what could enrich my understanding of God's word or opportunities for prayer or meeting a need in the community because I can get so focused on what I want to do. Now, I'm not saying, and I don't think Christ is saying, that any missed opportunities could mean God's disappointment and condemnation to hell. So I hope you don't hear that. I'm also not saying that you need to suddenly scramble for every possible thing and you need to sign up to coach Little League right now. But the plain meaning of the parable is that the heart of the person shows itself in the overall way, in the overall direction of your life, and that includes what you do with what God gives you. And as the passage shows, the one who starts to take advantage of what God gives will get more opportunities. And the one who lets them sit unused, you risk even that being taken away. It's not enough to wait. Christ has given us something to do to use what's from God for God. But in the midst of this, we must stop the story and we must remember the good news of God's grace. Because Jesus does tell us this to warn, so that if he has not yet returned, which he hasn't, and if you are still breathing, which I think you are, then this story can be a shock to your system. It can be a wake-up call that there is grace for the servant who has buried the treasure if he goes and digs it up and puts it to work now because Christ hasn't come back yet. 
So unbury the opportunities. Stop letting them pass you by. Ask Jesus for forgiveness and his spirit to help you to love him enough to gladly and joyfully follow his commands. And when you fail, ask again. You know, tomorrow, it's going to be a Monday. Definitely a Monday. And it might take you two cups of coffee before you're ready to embrace any sort of conversation or opportunity that God has for you. But you might find maybe it's at the breakfast table. Maybe there's an opportunity uh, with your spouse or your kid, and they've been thinking about things from church, and they want to know, do you really think the Bible's true? Are you going to invest in that opportunity or just kind of let it slide? We're in the office with the coworkers, and they're going to be talking about the big game this weekend. And is there anything from your weekend, anything from what God's doing in your life or God's doing at your church that might be worth sharing in that conversation? Will you invest in that opportunity or just, yeah, just move on to talking about the commercials? And if you jump on your phone tomorrow, there might be an opportunity to endlessly scroll through news and pictures and stuff like that. Or maybe when God brings a person to mind who you realize has been missing or is in the dumps, that you could call them or text them something of encouragement and then pray for them. See, when the opportunity arises, we don't know if we've been given a bag of gold or silver or copper. And you don't know what sort of return that you're going to get on that investment. But you can know this. Like that hockey legend Wayne Gretzky said, you do miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You make zero return on the investments you don't attempt. And when God's giving you the opportunities, it's not really your loss. He's willing to share with you, though, his gain and his joy eternal. Are you ready? It's not enough to wait. Christ has given us something to do, to use what's for God, from God, for God. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we take this moment to thank you for all the myriad of benefits and blessings you have shared with us, most of all, which is the death and resurrection and the opportunity to believe in and put our trust and hope in Jesus Christ. And so as we move into communion, Lord, we ask that that would be on our hearts. Amen.